Hey everyone, thanks for joining us on Chicago Tonight. I'm Paris Schutz. Brandis Friedman has the evening off. Here's what we're looking at. I've been here 33 years. I have nothing to retire on. Chaos off the court at the United Center. A labor dispute erupts just days before the Big Ten tournament tips off. It's been more than a decade since the city dissolved its Department of Environment. We ask a panel of community leaders what environmental issues Chicago's next mayor should prioritize. Will they pave paradise and put up a new runway? Questions loom over the possible sale of Lake County Forest Preserve land to the Waukegan National Airport. Oh man, look at that. And a new special from Jeffrey Bayer showcases the rich beauty of Chicago. And now to our top story tonight. Could be some major disruptions for fans that have United Center tickets coming up. That's because concession workers there are in the middle of contract negotiations with the stadium's hospitality company. Chicago Tonight's Joanna Hernandez tells us more. For decades, Jamie O'Neill has worked countless games at the United Center. I enjoy the atmosphere. You know, I enjoy intermingling with the fans and, you know, my co-workers, obviously. You know, we've become a family. On Sunday, dozens of workers walked out on a one-day strike during the Bulls game. O'Neill is one of hundreds of union employees who say they're fighting for a fair contract. We are striking for uh, health benefits. We're striking for pension. We're striking to be equal. O'Neill says the union, Unite Here Local One, has been negotiating a contract with Levy Restaurants since 2021. Levy is a giant hospitality company that runs food and beverage service in the arena. It was the end of January of this year when we took a strike vote and we got a 98% yes to vote or to go on strike. On top of having no pension to retire with, O'Neill says there's hundreds of employees without health insurance. During the pandemic, O'Neill claims Levy didn't offer employees assistance. What they consider health insurance is not health insurance. What is a health insurance? It's, it, they, it's, they call it health care. It's essentially a clinic that you can go to. The concession stand operator says she pays $400 a month for private health insurance, a price, she says, many of her co-workers can't afford to pay. You know, we've dedicated most of our life to this company, and, you know, they don't appreciate us, you know, the way they, that we want them to. A levy spokesperson tells us the company has been at the bargaining table more than 20 times. In the most recent proposal, Levy says it is offering a new health care program that allows workers to bundle hours from jobs at the United Center, Wrigley Field, and Guaranteed Rate Field to qualify for coverage. Levy says it is offering at least $20 an hour as a starting wage and a new pension plan, a plan O'Neill says wouldn't start until 2025. So that doesn't help me. And then you can't collect on it right away. I mean, you know, the little bit of money that's contributed into it, you know, I could be dead by then. With the Big Ten tournament starting Wednesday at the United Center, O'Neill says workers will be ready for another strike. A decision a levy spokesperson tells WTTW they will be able to handle. Personally, I don't think they can acquire that much staff to take care of them. For Chicago Tonight, I'm Joanna Hernandez. And we're told the next bargaining session is set for tomorrow. And now to some more of today's top stories. Illinois Facebook users might soon be getting another check from the giant company. This would be part of the $650 million settlement over violating the state's biometric privacy law. 
Facebook cut another check this month, which should result in a little more than $30 apiece. About $43 million was left over in the settlement fund after 110,000 Illinoisans did not cash their checks from the $397 payouts from last year. A day of dueling endorsements in the Chicago mayor's race. Former mayoral candidate and sixth ward alderman Roderick Sawyer threw his lot in with Paul Vallis, saying that he's wary of the Chicago Teachers Union influence on Brandon Johnson. Meanwhile, Johnson secured the endorsement of longtime congressman Danny Davis and is tomorrow slated to get the endorsement of Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle. And it's that time of year again, observing the unique Illinois holiday known as Kashmir Pulaski Day. Polish Museum of America held its annual event featuring dignitaries and paying tribute to the Polish-born Revolutionary War hero. Illinois passed a law making Pulaski Day an official state holiday back in 1977. And up next, local environmental activists on what they hope Chicago's new mayor can accomplish for the city's green efforts. That's right after this. Chicago Tonight is made possible in part by Alexandra and John Nichols. The Jim and Kay Maybe family. The Polk Brothers Foundation. And the support of these donors. Two decades ago, Mayor Richard M. Daley vowed to turn his hometown into the greenest city in America. Since then, the city's Department of Environment has been dismantled and allegations of environmental racism, concentrating industrial polluters in black and brown neighborhoods, persists. Tonight, we look at the top environmental issues facing the next mayor. And joining us are Cheryl Johnson, executive director of People for Community Recovery. That's an environmental advocacy group, advocacy group based in the Altgeld Gardens homes on the far south side. Olga Bautista, executive director of the Southeast Environmental Task Force. That's a nonprofit serving the southeast side and south suburbs of Chicago. And Kim Wasserman, executive director of the Little Village Environment Justice Organization, El Vejo. Thank you all for making the trek up here on this Monday evening. So I'll start with you, Cheryl John, just very quickly. The top environmental issues the next fair mayor faces in your mind. Well, I, that's the top three for me that I have to mention for one. It has to look at in helping us take a banded building, uh, school building in our community, and turn it into an environmental justice center. Number two, we're looking at the fact that the red line extension to 130th Street is a big investment for our neighborhood. So we want to make sure that it's fair and equitable for our community. And our third thing is that we, we're a desert. We don't have a grocery store. We don't have a commercial strip. And to see if those things are going to be revitalized. So you want, to, you want the next mayor to really pay attention to those issues. Olga Bautista, how about for you over in the 10th Ward, southeast side? I mean, in your intro, you mentioned allegations of uh, structural racism, environmental racism, but it's not allegations. Paris, it's actually the HUD. HUD has actually issued a finding that the city was actually involved in moving polluting a company from a predominantly white, wealthy community in Lincoln Park, uh, General Iron, to, to, our, General to, Iron. to our neighborhood. So um, those allegations have been confirmed. Like what, what we had always been saying is actually what the federal government has also said is, is happening in the city of Chicago, and that has to stop. And, and that move, by the way, is is 
on pause indefinitely as they kind of wade through the legal uh, issues there, but the city yeah. did reject that permit. And ultimately. the shredder has not been dismantled. You know, there, there is a shredder there already. There's a shredder there already. We want that to be dismantled. That's something that the next mayor needs to absolutely do um, because they could just flip that switch and that could be working again. So. Um, that bringing back to the Department of the Environment, yeah. and we need a cumulative impacts ordinance. We need regulations that is that is going to prevent another General Iron, another Hilco, another catastrophe in the city of Chicago. All right, so I want to have you explain the cumulative uh, um, impact ordinance in a second, but I want to bring in Kim Wasserman here. We've talked about Hilco yep. and its impact on Little Village, that big dust plume, that report not being released Correct. by the city. So what do you want the next mayor to do? I think similarly to what Olga and Charlotte have talked about, we definitely want to see the suite of cumulative impact ordinance passed. We want the next mayor to release the IG report so that hearings can happen at a city council level. We can figure out... This is the IG report The IG on report on Hilco. We want that officially released so that there can be hearings from city council to understand what exactly happened and ensure through cumulative impact ordinances that the same thing doesn't happen again. These are staffers who made this decision happen. And then I think lastly, we need to ban implosions in the city of Chicago. There's another coal power plant. There's a Damon silos. We cannot trust this administration to handle another implosion. Implosions need to become illegal and need to be banned in the city of Chicago. All right, so two of you have mentioned the cumulative impact study. Cheryl, can you explain to viewers what exactly that is and what you hope that leads to? What, well, one of the things that it look at, the cumulative rate, um, how many facilities is located in a geographical area? You know, and look at its impact based on air quality issues, the PM, PM 2.5, and those types of matter. matters, particular matters that happen in the neighborhood. And it also look at the health disparities that is already impacted in that community, and will this be additional burden in a community based on all these other activities, industrial activities is located in a geographical area. And so, Olga Batista, once this study is done and it's still ongoing right now, you want there to be an ordinance to come out of it. Uh, what, what exactly Absolutely. should that ordinance say? Well, also, uh, just to piggyback off of Cheryl, apart from just like how many, you know, polluting companies or, or um, companies admitting things into the air are in one area, also the socio-demographic mm -hmm. uh, factors need to be included in those assessments and those decisions regarding zoning and land use decisions. We have to think about, like, a polluting company in one neighborhood is going to impact very differently if it's situated in a, in a wealthy neighborhood. When you're in a, in a poor neighborhood, you don't have days off from work. You don't have a car. You might not have health insurance. So socio um, demographic um, factors are, need to be a factor in how we make these decisions. So what we're saying basically is if someone is going to get an industrial permit to build in, in a specific neighborhood that these things have to be taken into consideration Absolutely. before it's approved. Absolutely, and it also looks at what is happening within our zoning departments, permitting departments, and how do we ensure that environmental justice communities can be identified mm -hmm. and that more um, protection can be given to them and cities and the administration can be thinking about not just how to stop polluters from coming in, but actually how to reduce the harms that are currently there. And so it's a combination of both of those things. And Cheryl, Cheryl Johnson was just brought up the fact that there was a Department of Environment in the city under the mayor's office that's been 
gotten rid of. Uh, mayor Lightfoot has kind of alluded to wanting to bring it back. Obviously, there's going to be a new mayor come May. So why is it important to have that specific Department of Environment? Because the same thing that is happening in our community that is harming our community, for an example. We don't just need an environmental department. We need an environmental justice department that intersect with all the other agencies and see where they are creating these harms and try to reduce those harms and burdens that they negatively impact our community. It's important for us because it's not going anywhere. And sh Chicago has already demonstrated its disrespect for the black and brown community by allowing these things to happen. So why not have an institution established and funded within the city of Chicago to address these issues? Because it's, it, it affects the quality of our life. It affects our school, it affects our health, it affects the businesses. So those things need, and the permitting process. Mm. City of Chicago never denied a permit to now. Right. And you, so the, you talk about General Iron, that move, the former General Iron. There is uh, a, an industrial company, McKinley Park, Matt Asphalt. Mm -hmm. They have some problems with uh, meeting air quality standards, but they are allowed to operate there. What would you like to see the next mayor do with Matt Asphalt? Obviously right next to a park and a residential area. I think one is ensure how this cannot happen again, but two, how do we deal with bad actors that are currently in our neighborhood? This isn't just about new industry. This is also about bad actors who either have massive OSHA violations or like Matt Asphalt have uh, environmental violations. You should not be able to get a permit. You should not be able to get a contract with the city when you are fighting tickets from the city or in court litigation. So these are very basics in Chicago that we want. Just like we're held responsible if we get a ticket, we get a boot, we have to go to court, we get fines. These institutions and companies should be also held to the same standard that we are held to as Chicagoans in the city. And, and on that note, there was a recent Sun-Times study that showed that fewer than half of all air pollution citations from city health inspectors end up sticking. So companies often get them dropped or the fine is reduced. Why is that happening? Olga well, uh, they are, there's so many loopholes and so many ways for them to get variances. Companies can apply for variances from the rules. Also, if the city of Chicago is not adjudicating these violations and they settle, then they get erased from the record. So then they could go back and apply for another permit. I mean, that is just unconscionable like they they have all these violations and if they pay a settlement then it's erased so for them paying these fines is just a cost of doing business mm -hmm. it's a cost of operating it, the, these fines are not punitive enough for them to actually change what they're doing to better protect the quality of life of the people who so live you want around the city those to really step up the enforcement absolutely of that. absolutely because right after um, there was an IG report also talking about enforcement after the Department of Environment was dismantled and and those enforcements went way down. Brett Chase covered that in the Sun-Times. I mean, we have all the proof there. The next mayor needs to come correct and actually follow through. We have the data. Right. You know, the, the need to stop gaslighting environmental justice activists. We have the information. We have the health studies. And these regulations, it's not just one, like, catch-all thing. It's in it, like Kim said, it's going to be a suite of regulations that need to co happen and there has to be interagency coordination. All right, so here's, here's one other gigantic uh, issue that the next mayor faces, the replacement of lead service lines for water. So 400,000 of them, less than 1% have been replaced so far. This could cost 8 to $10 billion. Cheryl Johnson, how should the next mayor go about tackling this? Well, they can't create two cities within it because I live in public housing, for an example, and there's no data. 
CHA has no data about the lead service line in public housing. Have they been inspected or anything? But when you look at, <clears throat> I've been an activist for almost 30 years around lead poisoning issues. And it's just terrible that we just have to get to this point when we knew 30 years ago mm -hmm. that lead was terrible and it was in our schools and our homes. And so now we look at, it takes a crisis down here. Well, I think it was Roosevelt University when they pipes erupted and it was a lot of, that's when we started having a discussion about it. Mm. We should be more proactive in this city because we know since 1978, lead was bad. Mm -hmm. so, and for 1963, we definitely know that most of the houses and homes and service lead line, I mean, and, exist and, in and these homes. Lines. And we got a lot of old so, houses. So the work has started on that with the help of federal money, but there is a long way to go. We've only breached the surface the, here, skimmed so the surface of the... So many been poisoned right. as a result yeah. Clay of this. Clay Elementary School in the Hegwish neighborhood recently did a test. They do these random tests at the school, 75% higher than what's legally acceptable wow. in a school that, right now, right today. Now. Yes. All right, so a lot, a lot on your plates, a lot on the next mayor's plate. We have more to discuss, uh, but we have to leave it here for now. Thank you all for joining us. Cheryl Johnson, Olga Batista, Kim Wasserman. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. All the best. All right. And up next, could a runway displace a forest? Please stay with us. Lake County officials are in the midst of talks to possibly sell land from its forest preserves to the Waukegan National Airport. The potential sale is raising questions and also drawing some pushback. WTTW News reporter Patty Wetley joins us now with more. Patty, this Waukegan Airport, why does it want this extra land that happens to be forest preserve land? Right, so the airport, just for context, is for generally private, small airplanes, larger corporate 737s, life flights, Coast Guard. They have a 6,000-foot runway that they say has reached the end of its useful life. They want to build a 7,000-foot runway. And to do the longer runway, they need some adjacent land for, like, a protection safety buffer zone. And that adjacent land happens to be Forest Preserve. And right now we're looking at a graphic of these runway plans at the airport. So what's the response from folks in the community about this potential sale? It's mixed. It's a mixed bag. You have officials from surrounding communities who very much appreciate the economic engine that the airport is for them. And then you have folks who, upon um, principle, are just like, the Forest Preserve should never be selling any land that's supposed to be protected and preserved. So there's multiple sides. So can this, this airport expand the runway to meet FAA requirements and not acquire that land? I mean, is there any other configuration they could do? It couldn't have that 7,000 foot length. And so people are slightly suspicious of what do you need that long runway for? It's actually longer than Midway's runway. Mm. And they're worried that it's going, that they're, the real purpose is to bring in more jets, bigger jets. The airport says, we're, we're not going to go the passenger route. We're not trying to be the next Rockford with cargo planes. Mm. You know, it's just that for safety, um, the kinds of planes that are currently using our runway need that longer runway. So where is this in the process right now? Right now, we're waiting on an environmental assessment. So we don't have the, the answers yet of, is it going to bring more pollution? Is it going to bring more noise? Is it going to be an issue for wildlife and, and things like that? Once that's released and people get a chance to review it, there will be public meetings, a, a feedback process, and then the FAA can kind of say, yay, nay, do some more work. 
Um, and the Forest Preserve can obviously say, no, we're not going to sell you this land. How so, much money are we talking about here to acquire the land? And is it from... <laughs> The airport authority, which is some separate unit of Nobody's government? Nobody's talking money yet, Paris, because oh, okay. they don't want to blow a deal. Ah. So, so we don't know what the how, mu how much money the, that could be spent on the land. But yes, where's that money coming from? Does that mean taxpayers will have essentially paid for it twice because mm. they paid for it to be a forest preserve in the first place? Lots of questions are still up in the air, and hopefully during this whole you know public process, a lot of that information will come out. A very interesting debate in Lake County. I know that you'll be following all those steps. <laughs> Patty, thank you very much. Thanks, Paris. And you can read Patty's full story on our website, wttw.com slash news. In a new WTDW special, Jeffrey Bayer takes us on a tour of some of Chicago's most beautiful places. Some may be familiar, others less so. Here's a quick clip from the show featuring a building you've almost certainly driven by but never seen quite like this. Beautiful buildings in Chicago's neighborhoods don't tend to get as much of the spotlight as the architectural superstars downtown. But architect Juan Gabriel Moreno is determined to change that. He's designed striking buildings in neighborhoods all over Chicago, like this Northeastern Illinois University facility called El Centro in the Northwest Side neighborhood of Avondale. And joining us now is, of course, Jeffrey Bayer. Jeffrey, uh, I have never seen that building quite from that perspective. Isn't that great? And I drive by it every single day. So as far as I understand, you employed the latest scientific technology to come up with the objectively most beautiful places in Chicago, yes. right? Yeah, I put a bunch of slips of paper in a mason jar, and I shook them <laughs> like this and pulled them out. And, no, it's, I mean, it's, the, it's a, an intentionally provocative title. Like, did we really find the most beautiful places in Chicago? Uh, we want to get a conversation going, so we can't get, you know, nearly everything. This is uh, Jeannie Gang's St. Regis Tower, this beautiful, gorgeous building. So many buildings and, and, and then uh, houses of worship and uh, natural areas. But there'll be a lot of debate about it. And, and, you know, throughout this film, there's a lot about the rich immigrant experience in Chicago. So how did you weave that into this discussion about beautiful places? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what emerged as, as we were making the program, this idea that, um, I mean, there, there were a lot of downtown buildings you just saw. But, but really, it's, it's sort of this, this melting pot of immigrants that have come to Chicago with their, their ideas of beauty from all over the world. This is a, a park that was designed by a Chinese-American, a wonderful landscape uh, architect Ernie Wong um, and then he also designed Ping Tom Park in Chinatown which is uh, also one of our beautiful places where Ernie got to explore his own Chinese American heritage. He'd never even been to China until he was uh, in his 20s and, and it was really a cool experience for him. So Jeffrey, out of all these specials that you've done, you've seen every corner of the region. Does anything still surprise you? Did anything in this project surprise you? You were like, I had no idea. Absolutely. Well, here, this is an abandoned steel mill that we just saw and then this, this um, uh, beautiful Hindu uh, it's called a Mandir, Hindu temple uh, out in Bartlett. Um, this, is, this is entirely handmade in India, hand-carved from marble. Um, so, yeah, there were all kinds of places. In fact, there was um, 
a, a mosque that I had never even heard of. We might be seeing There's a the Baha'i Temple. There's, that the, that's in Wilmette. So we all know that, but all these right. other places are completely obscure. Yeah, well, I wanted to find a beautiful mosque. And here it is. This is the Beit Ilm Mosque out in um, the western suburbs. And I'd never even heard of this place. And look at this. You know, uh, it, it, so, you know, I'm always surprised when we, when we do our programs. I always find something that I never even heard of before. All right, so I was joking at the top that this was a scientific process. But seriously, how did you pick the finalists here? Well, we certainly wanted diversity in the program. Um, so we wanted not, uh, not only um, uh, diversity of, of uh, where they were located, like in the city and the neighbors and the suburbs, but also types of, of places. So we have skyscrapers, we have houses of worship, we have natural areas. And we want to represent, you know, the whole community. But the other thing that was really different about this program was all the people that we got into it, the people who told us about the, why these places were so beautiful to them, which really expanded our definition of beauty. I thought we were just going after visual beauty, but it's really the stories that come through that were so meaningful to me. A lot of stories, but that being said, as with all of your specials, it is visually beautiful. Beautiful yeah, photographs. certainly is. You're up in an airplane at uh, sunset. Yeah, yeah. At the very beginning of the show, I, 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 this, this pilot in a little Cessna airplane wants to show me his favorite view of Chicago. So, I mean, I'm an aviation geek. Right. So I'm always the guy, like, looking out the window fly for 15 seconds. I saw you were taking pictures on your iPhone. Yeah, but you know, here I got to fly up and down the air, the, the lakefront for 45 minutes wow. uh, at sunset. You know, yeah, a guy would. I, I was so excited I forgot to interview the guy. Like I'm up there with the <laughs> pilot and I'm just taking pictures with my iPhone that it was so beautiful and fantastic. You forgot this is actual work, Jeffrey. You get to have <laughs> no. so much fun in this job. All right, well, we look forward to it. It's airing tomorrow night, correct? Absolutely. All right. Again, you can watch The Most Beautiful Places in Chicago tomorrow night at 7 on WTTW. You can also stream it at 7 on the PBS video app and at WTTW.com slash beautiful places. And we're back to wrap things up right after this. That's our show for this Monday night. Please join us tomorrow night live at 10. Why Illinois lawmakers are considering tougher standards for rideshare companies. Plus the harrowing stories of three local doctors just back from Syria and Turkey following the devastating earthquakes. And now for all of us here at Chicago Tonight, I'm Paris Schutz. Thank you so much for watching. Stay healthy and safe, and we'll see you tomorrow evening. Closed captioning is made possible by Robert A. Clifford and Clifford Law Offices, a Chicago personal injury and wrongful death firm that's proud to serve its community through pro bono legal services.